Today we will be discussing how we can meet women right where they are at using a language of empathy. Trisha Lewis from the Reproductive Loss Network joins us and we discuss how we as leaders in abortion recovery can care for the women that we minister to in a bigger way. We talk about the importance also of a co-leader who does not have abortion in her past uh, to join in your group or in your ministry. Stay tuned. It's a great conversation. Welcome to the Abortion Recovery Network podcast. We are group leaders helping group leaders with abortion recovery ministry through informal and casual conversations. Your hosts are Linda Keener Thomas, founder and board chair of the National Memorial for the Unborn, and Mindy Lefeshore, founder of An Even Place Virtual Abortion Recovery Ministry. As I began an even place in January 2022, I wanted to talk with other abortion recovery ministry leaders to share the vision I had and learn whatever I could about abortion recovery ministry. As I talked with some amazing women who I now call friends, I was surprised to learn they were as eager as I was to hear from other leaders. An idea was birthed to start a podcast of leaders, by leaders, for leaders, from all over to share experiences, ideas, challenges, joys, and learn from one another while doing your laundry, cooking your dinner, or driving in your car. Linda and I met the fall of 2022. I shared this idea with her and she jumped on board. Our desire is to allow you to enter our conversations with other abortion recovery leaders, learn the nuts and bolts of how they lead their groups, and connect with one another to build a strong network of leaders helping leaders reach the millions suffering with an abortion experience. Hello, everyone. This is Abortion Recovery Network, and we are here today with Trisha Lewis. She is from the uh, Reproductive Loss Network. She is in Nashville, Tennessee. Um, but I'm going to go back because I'm still new at this, and we are the Abortion Recovery Network. We are group leaders, helping group leaders with abortion recovery ministry through informal and casual conversations. And now I'm going to go forward and introduce Trisha. And we're just going to be really open and honest that we do not all know what we're doing all the time. <laughs> and maybe that's the beauty of this podcast so that we can all relax and go, I don't have to have it all together. I'm going to mess up and we have grace for one another. I hope. <laughs> uh, I'm going to introduce Trisha as she is Trisha Lewis is a national and international grief care educator and co-founder of the Reproductive Loss Network. She had the privilege of spending many years as an executive director for a pregnancy clinic in Northern California, but now lives in the Nashville area with her family. She currently provides grief education to individuals and groups, especially those in pregnancy help organizations. Trisha holds an MA in human services with a concentration in trauma and crisis and is currently pursuing a PhD in psychology and counseling. Trisha is also co-founder of My Care Track, an online client care system that supports reproductive grief and grief and loss helpers. Uh, before we um, get into discussion with Trisha, I'd like to introduce Linda. Keener Thomas, my co-host and uh, cohort in this effort. We are so excited to be here today. And Linda, I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Okay. I am Linda Keener Thomas, and I also was a director of Pregnancy Center for 10 years in Tennessee and um, co-founder or uh, founder of the um, National Memorial for the Unborn, um, where we have 50-foot granite wall and invite anyone that's lost a child to abortion to place a name, place of healing and hope, and have done post-abortion 
recovery groups for 20 something years. And I'm just so thrilled to be um, a part of this where we can um, together learn from each other and um, grow this ministry that God has given us of providing healing for those that are grieving in our country. Awesome. And I am Mindy Lefeshore, founder of An Even Place. I worked as development director for Life Choices Pregnancy Center for five years, and now I am leading virtual abortion recovery groups online. And so we are coming together because Linda also leads groups in her local area. We are, we have decided as we have been talking to one another over the course of just actually a few months, Trisha and I just met at the CareNet conference in August and um, <clears throat> have had great conversations since then. And every time I get together with her or with other leaders in this specific sphere of, of um, ministry, I'm finding that we're all hungry to talk. We're all hungry to learn from one each one another and just sort of sit down and have these conversations over tea and coffee. And, and while the, the formal training is wonderful and the webinars are, are incredibly educating, just learning from, from, from one another through casual conversation is something I think that we're all really hungry and craving. So I want to do this. And I thought, why not just bring the whole, everybody into it? And so Lindy and I got together and said, yes, let's do this. And we started this podcast, not having a clue what we're doing, ladies. So but we're having fun. Yes. And there's so much that God is doing, so many new ideas that he's raising up that we just need to be communicating with each other and learning from each other. And it's going to be great. And we are glad you are here to join us today. Yes. Well, thanks so, so much. I feel super honored. You, you are, you are an honored guest. <laughs> I um adore Trisha. We met and um we had then we went and had coffee together and lunch and um we just can't stop talking every time we get together. So I want you to hear how wonderful she is and what she has to bring to the table because she has a lot to bring. So first, Trisha, I read your bio, but what I'd really like for you to do, if you don't mind, is tell us just a little bit about you, a little bit more about this this journey to reproductive loss network forming this when it got formed you know how you and tanya met and um and just a little bit about the what you do at reproductive loss network yeah thank you for asking and i'm sorry my my colleague tanya can't be here today um she has a sinus infection that she's really sick so she's sad she's not here but i know she'll be back with you um so I started out, I always tell people, I started out in the pregnancy center world, like so many other pregnancy helpers, pregnancy center helpers is, um, I, the Lord, uh, kind of, I don't, I always say stumble, I stumbled in, but I think he, he dragged me in unknowingly what was to come. And, um, I really feel like, and I get choked up about it, just saying it right now. Um, I really feel like I grew up in the pregnancy center world. That's where my, uh, such a big bulk of um, my maturity in Christ and just maturity of the person I think came from, you know, I was asked initially to lead a mommy's group. I love moms. I had three kids that were in junior high, high school in there at that time. So I had time and um, I thought, well, I'll just do this a couple, you know, a couple times a month. And, um, well, there you go. That's the, the story. The Lord used uh, all of the years I've been able to participate with this fantastic ministry. Um, I've done just about everything except anything me medical. <laughs> Thank goodness for everybody else involved in that. 
Um, but um, everything from donor to website development, everything that was needed in the pregnancy center world. And I know my story is not uncommon. Um, we get called into this. You don't really plan to be in this ministry for however God gets you there. I've never met one person who said, oh, yes, I went to business school so that I could run a nonprofit that is super um, looked down in society by my many people, you know, this is just like kind of a, a funny thing. And so anyway, all that just to say, um, Tanya and I started working together. She and I met, and that's even a funny story too. Um, my mother at the time was going to a church where she said, there's a woman teaching a Sproul Bible study on abortion in her church at, at my mother's church. And I was like, well, there, this is like a unicorn. Like, you know, you don't meet too many people at that time years ago that were talking about this in church in particular. Like, it just wasn't a big thing. And so I I, I called her and we became fast friends because we had so much in common. I feel like, Mindy, it was kind of like when you and I met, all the ideas just kind of kept came out of your mm -hmm. mouth at the same time and same, you know, the passions aligned. And so, um, so Tanya and I just kind of started working together in lots of ways. She was going through um, her own healing and other areas that she can tell you about when she joined you next. But um, we, she was building her um, after abortion care program as what her in herself, her own ministry. And more, of course, as she got more healing, more and more women started coming to her. Well, fast forward, we did all sorts of things together all, in this area. And then um, I stepped out of the pregnancy center world for about a, about a year. In that time, started another nonprofit that was part of the journey as well, but never thinking I'd go back into the pregnancy center world again. Um, and again, fast forward, I did after that year become executive director for a, a, a center that wanted to go, the, the director was retiring and needed to go from resource center to medical and I was just kind of positioned there at that time to help do that, had done that with the other clinic, helped in them in that way. And so I had some knowledge. But in that year, Tanya and I had gone to a conference where we, um, it was, I don't even know how we really got there, but we listened to several speakers talk about abortion and reproductive loss in general. And Tanya just, it's, uh, and again, I don't want to share her story, but she has had many of the experiences that we're going to talk about today. Um, and she just started crying because finally somebody was speaking her language in a way that she really was had processed it as a young person going making making some of these decisions she was making. She's got a beautiful testimony. And um, all I could think of while I was sitting in this conference and ideas are coming to both of us at the same time, I think I'm, I have not experienced these losses. I have experienced grief, but my biggest reason why I was sitting there feeling heavy was I've said all the wrong things to people that have experienced these losses. And here I had been at everything in the center up until this last, that last year. And I thought, holy cow, when we move forward with this clinic, as it begins to grow and change, this is going to be part of our conversation and culture. We are going to, we're not just going to teach our, our team, 
but we're going to grow this in the community in such a way that the language can be communicated, the language of, of empathy and care can be communicated from our board members, from the receptionist to our donors into the city. I started having this thing, this idea that we, that nobody else was talking about reproductive loss and the woman's entire story, the way that the pregnancy clinics and centers could do. No one was doing it for one thing, but if we could offer healing and hope with Jesus at the center and, and bring that ultimate true healing the way only he can, and that, that non-Christians and Christians alike know we're the people to send their people to, um, then, then so many things could happen. And so as we built the, as, a, as we became medical, of course, you start to see lots of, you, you're moving from a resource center, which is precious in and of itself, to medical clinic, which has different dynamics and different features. But um, we just started bringing this language into that center. And as we start, saw, started to see um, more miscarriages and uh, people having stillbirths and, um, of course, abortion experiences or things like this, um, we, we just looked up, looked up to see more need that could be met. Um, and clients started to come in earlier, stay longer. Um, the appointments started to be more in depth because we weren't just sharing with her or walking her journey along with um, only her unplanned pregnancy, pretend, you know, th that crisis that might be there or her after abortion care. Now we're thinking about her in a bigger way. And she's seen we're attending to her. Um, one of the biggest stories I tell when Reproductive Loss Network, when we do our training, um, is I had gone to a pastor's lunch at one time as a director there. And um, it's a big, huge room full of mostly men who I always found, I think, me scary, <laughs> even though I never, I hope I never approached it that way. But anyway, I was looking in the room for any woman to sit next to, because I was like, okay, that's, this, this is less awkward for me. And so I, I came in late, I sat next to this woman, she was um, uh, over a, a huge prayer, citywide prayer ministry. We barely had a, a moment to talk. And, um, but she said, hey, I'd like to get your card. Can I, can we meet for coffee? And I'm always game for new friends. So I um, said, sure. And so we met at a Panera and I remember like, this is a brand new, brand new person. We've hardly had four sentences of communication. And before we grabbed our tea and actually sat down, she said, I just want you to know, I really needed to meet with you today because I've never told anybody this, but I've had three miscarriages uh, I'm sorry, three abortions, two miscarriages, and I'm infertile. And nobody knows except for my husband. And she had a story that encompassed this whole, it just affirmed for me that when we get an opportunity to talk about help and hope and healing, we get the opportunity to really meet that woman and, and potentially her partner and family and the ripple effects that go along with all of those kind of losses and really walk along in her grieving journey where she may not feel safe to tell anybody those other things. Um, as you know, like a lot of times people feel punished for their abortion because they're now infertile or having miscarriage. It's, it's, it's joined together in many ways. And we get the privilege of, um, you know, really walking alongside them in all of those areas, respecting all of that woman's story.
it's a lot of words. And that's a lot. Words. Thank you. No, that was a really great story. And so it, it was shortly after this that you and Tanya began Reproductive Loss Network or how did that? So yes. Okay. So yeah, and I'll kind of try and keep this clip, but the, um, the time started working at the clinic. Um, she has had great success. She's still there at that clinic um, building a team, which is what we love to talk to people about a lot of times of um, helpers that attend to all reproductive grief and loss within their clinic. I think she's got eight volunteers right now working under her, which if you've worked in um, this ministry for long, you know, it's very, very difficult to find sometimes even people who will, who have the ability or the time to even just attend to the after abortion care on a consistent basis. So it's really quite remarkable for the size center that they are. They're not large. And so um, it's a, it's a big part of their program there. My family um, moved from California to Nashville. And when we moved, of course, Tanya and I had already had have had a deep relationship and friends and we'd been teaching. Let me back up just a tiny bit with telling this too. We'd been teaching all things reproductive grief and loss for many years together already at the center. And one of the things that happened because we made this decision kind of to grow this, not just within the clinic walls, but outside is we started doing trainings on reproductive grief and loss open to the public four times a year. And we were starting to see RAs from um, the College of the Street, uh, first responders, therapists, um, teachers, anybody, counselors, school counselors, all uh, pastors, um, lay people coming to these trainings. And we had two, we had two goals regarding this. One, we wanted to share with them the importance of walking alongside people who are struggling with reproductive grief and loss in general. But also we wanted to be able to refer to people, refer our clients to people we know who had gone through the training and could speak our language and held at least an understanding of our worldview. So they, so that we knew that when they sent, we sent them to say a Christian counselor from a church up the street and that counselor had gone to our training, we're on the same page with both language and respect for that person in this area. And so um, they are still, and we are still training four times a year at this clinic in California, open to the public and we get all sorts of people that come. So as, as when I moved, um, Tanya and I just said, you know, we should just do this. <laughs> you know how it goes. You ladies know. I know you know. We should just do this. Like, why aren't we can do this? And so about two years ago, Tanya and I started Reproductive uh, Loss Network, which is um, equipping anybody who walks alongside a grieving person um, with uh, a biblical approach. And that is the crux of what we do. Um, we had found many approaches to healing, um, as I'm sure you have too. Uh, but we just felt, because I think the, the Lord led us to it, is we just didn't see any other more effective way to help a person heal um, with these losses than the word of God. Amen. And sorry, yes. I, I'm still so, so passionate about it. We, because we, Although there are lots of help, hope, help and hope out there. Don't get me wrong. This is not to say that this is what the Lord laid on our hearts regarding it. But we were finding that oftentimes people would just be go through something and then either get stuck or it would delay it, the healing, um, yeah, or something like that. So, 
I am just so excited. And, and this is just really mind blowing for me, having been in post-abortion ministry for so long, is expanding it out to all the reproductive mm-hmm. laws. And um, I've just kind of tried to wrap my brain around this, opens the door to a whole new group of people that we had no access to before. One of the things that I really loved that you said was language of empathy. Tell us a little bit more about that. You had mentioned maybe that you felt like you didn't have that in the past at the pregnancy center. How can we uh, adopt this language of empathy? Oh, that's such a good question. Um, I have to start the answer to this with um, a a short story again. Um, All my lessons seem like they're visual. The Lord (laughs) gives to me. But one time my kids, again, like junior high, I just started in the pregnancy center volunteering and, um, they were like, you know, they were like six, sixth grade, eighth grade, ninth grade or something. And I think the two younger ones were, we were in the grocery store and we were hop, they were hopping from vinyl square to vinyl square. Do you know what I mean? Remember the yeah. old ones? And, um, and I'm trying to corral them, right? Like we're in the egg aisle, I remember. And I remember looking over and seeing the older man with his walker, a mama with her baby in a cart, uh, one of the grocery clerks trying to stock a shelf. And I just remember it was almost like, like the Lord was talking to me in this way, but a light came down from heaven in the egg aisle. And I was able to like collect my kids and I lifted their chin. And I just basically said, you know, look around you, look at these people. They're kind of afraid of you. They're nervous of you because they don't know how you're going to respond, what your body's going to do around them. Are you going to knock them over? Are you going to jar them? Are you going to make the baby cry? Like they're, they're at, they're at, you know, they're vulnerable. And, um, so I remember going into the pregnancy center the next week. And I remember thinking to my, I didn't think about this at all until I was sitting with a woman who was facing an unplanned pregnancy. And um, I really didn't know what to say to her. So I just listened. I didn't say a lot. I just listened. I attended to her. I tuned, I fixed my body position and everything. And I remember as she was speaking, she was coming to her own, conclu- her own, um, she was solving her own problem just because I listened and I remember the Lord saying to me, you're lifting your chin. You're looking around, you're seeing her. She felt, I know she felt seen and heard. And so that's kind of where it started for me was um, the language of compassion. And then um, as we started talking about um, reproductive loss as a, as a whole, um, one of the barriers I had found in the pregnancy center world was ha- uh, sometimes starting a conversation with somebody who, who thought um, we only talked about abortion. Um, It was oftentimes pastors, for instance, just like kind of a hostile word to many hearers. It just was oftentimes because they had their own experience or because it's political or, you know, all the reasons why. And by, by expanding our language to reproductive loss, everyone I talked to then at that point, especially if they had any kind of loss, would say, ah, yes. I remember seeing their body posture almost change. Like, oh, okay. Now I understand what that feels like. So even though we we do not for one minute um, think that abortion or any kind of loss is the same, like happens in the same way. We know one's a choice oftentimes. Um, But we studies show and we have learned that people grieve similarly for all these losses. And so that's where we really started um, looking up. And then people, when they came into our clinic, whether it's a board member or a donor, person dropping off a bag of clothes, um, the language 
was appealed to their heart, I guess I could say. Um, I, I want to real quick give you an opportunity to tell our listeners um, your website, uh, what oh. classes you offer, um, and how to get in contact with you. And and obviously we will talk about later what what we're going to put down in the notes, but um, go ahead and announce that if you yes, will. So you can find us at reproductivelossnetwork.org. Um, we have in-person and virtual trainings. We offer our uh, core training uh, just about every month online. You can join. Anybody can join. It's open to all. But we also love tra uh, training pregnancy clinics and centers. We love to come to you and train your team specifically for your needs. We also do a lot of consultation on um, how to build a team within your um, within your clinic or center. And we also um, train a lot of, of uh, biblical counselors and pastors on this topic so that they are better equipped to help people. Um, That's, that is so awesome. And what is catching my ear right now, I don't know about you, Linda, is um, equipping a team. So uh, I know I've have uh, my team member in touch with Tanya uh, doing miscarriage loss, but for those of us who are venturing out and doing ministry just with abortion recovery, but maybe want to incorporate some of these other kinds of studies to treat the whole woman, uh, you know, talk a little bit about that team training, if you would just, just describe a little bit about what that looks like. Yeah. So, um, it's very exciting to me because one of the things as, um, person who worked in the clinic or center and had gone to lots of conferences, obviously, you know, the main ones, um, I would always come away feeling like a little overwhelmed in a lot of ways, like, well, we don't have the funding or I don't have the person or, um, you know, I, I don't even know where to begin or anything like that. And so one of the things we really goal toward is helping people, whether it's, and that's your team or a center that has 10 people, whatever it is, begin where you can begin. Um, I think a lot of it is awareness in your, in and of yourself. Um, you know, like I said, reproductive losses are often attached to each other. So there, it's not just always one that is, um, heavy on the person. Oftentimes it's a whole picture. So I think becoming aware, that was something that, um, I learned, um, beginning this journey. The second of which is we can't do it all. And so we really, we really um, emphasize building a good network of helpers around you. Um, it wasn't too long ago, I was volunteering for a call center for people um, wanting in uh, help for after abortion care in their own city. And so um, through this organization, I will call a pregnancy center to nearby where this person lived and say, you know, we, we would really like it if this person could come talk to somebody there. And they would many times, not always, but many times they would say, well, you know, we have a person, but she's only available like the spring of 2024. And that's if her kids aren't, you know, in town during the month of July. And, um, it was frustrating only because of what I do for work, I knew there were all sorts of people leading healing groups in that area that that pregnancy center didn't necessarily know about that they could tap into. And most recently, all of the virtual healing that is happening, like with you guys. 
um, at an even place. And so, so that was really, that's been part of it is like becoming aware um, and then resourcing yourself to say, okay, we may not be able to do it all, but we know where this person can go and it's a reliable person to be sending them to. I'm, my mind is just whirling. I'm, I'm thinking about uh, a group I had just um, last year where I had, I think, three that were infertile after abortion. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing I probably was not sensitive enough to that. This is just opening up my mind. And even though the infertility wasn't grieving a loss of a particular baby, it was still grieving a loss. Mm-hmm. How can those of us that are actually doing the post-abortion ministry be more sensitive to that and even within our groups um, help facilitate grieving on that front as well. And if I may add, uh, that was sort of a question I did want to ask anyway, just a little bit different twist. So I want to add this to it and let you answer both together is how do we actually incorporate it into our abortion recovery so that we can have these conversations with them and, and kind of maybe move them towards a different level of healing? That's such a good question. And I'm so glad that you're thinking about this, Linda, because this is what we want, right? This is we want to challenge each other to to doing this as well as best that we can. And it is a bit of a like, so one thing I've heard um in the past is like, well, maybe attending to these other losses isn't missional, or that's not what they're here for. We're attending to the uh, the abortion at this time, which is completely you know, that's a real thing. You can't, you you can't broaden when you're there for one specific topic. But um, I think just now, Linda, like next time you learn of somebody's um, infertility, perhaps, or miscarriage, you're, you're going to now turn to them and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry. That must've been a really hard journey. So in a group, with all its complexities, you know, you're not going to necessarily go off on that rabbit trail right then. You're, you may not uh, talk about it much, except now you're acknowledging the loss, which is so important. And in your back pocket, if they feel they need a further attending to, you have a support network that you know you can s- solidly send that person to another who's going to care well, well for her. So I think like in that, that setting, um, that's a big thing. And then I'm going to say something that no one likes us to say, and, and we haven't been the first to say it, but we really don't love the word post-abortive right? because um, of the label. And what we have found is that it sometimes makes a person feel like the other losses were not relevant. Because I'm identified by this loss, the other losses are less. We never want a person to feel that that's the case because they may need as much of Jesus for the others as they do for the after abortion care. So that's just something that we we believe and we have on our website, a kind of a white paper stating why we believe that. So if anybody's interested, they can kind of read. Cause I know it's it, it, it was a really good, it's been a good word like to say somebody's post board when we were first learning back in the day that that was happening. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We had to have something, but now we know that maybe labels aren't quite as helpful. So in your group, I think that's a, a good thing. To yeah. Know. And so since we just brought that up, let's just real quickly talk about that just for our listeners. Um, I use the term, a, a, a past abortion experience. What are other terms that we could use or that you are hearing out there that would be appropriate? 
Yes, I think about that. I think that's great, Mindy. And I think when you're talking about the experience they had, as opposed to the person they are, because really we want them to be in Christ. We want mm-hmm. we want that to be their identifying mark, that, right? And um, so so talking about it as an experience, for instance, um, because of my personal life family situation I have, and I'm in school doing psychology and counseling, um, you know, there's often, uh, like, for instance, um, addiction, addictive behaviors, you know, like you're, you're an addict, like, I've stopped with that word calling people addicts, you know, struggling with, they may be challenged by alcohol, they may be struggling with um, porn, or something like that, because ultimately, that their identity, we want them to, to be, like right. I said, in Christ not identified with the, the, the one sin where you have the most <laughs> adversity with, right? Let's not do that. Right. I just love that. I think that is a great perspective. And I think relabeling it, I love the reproductive loss label. And it seems to me that if we're addressing that, um, do you have women that maybe are coming for the miscarriage or the infertility that wouldn't come forward saying I've had an abortion too, but then once you deal with that grief, it opens the door for her to deal with, with the abortion loss as well. Well, I'll tell you how this plays out so well in the clinics and, or in like, as you're building your groups, your teams, you know, oftentimes, as you know, the Lord leads a person to say, lead a group or get into this ministry because of past experiences and that, right? Like, and so what do we do? Um, we have them go through after abortion care, which is fantastic. And that should happen. But um, have they experienced other losses too that haven't been attended to? You want your group leaders to be really have already processed any other losses they may have had so that they don't have an emotional experience that isn't um, healthy in front of other group leaders. You know, um, I had an experience one time when my kids again were teens and I was uh, counseling this young couple, I think they're 15, 14 in there and they were having a baby. And um, the girl was, um, t- the the young girl was living with the boy's parents. The parents were supporting them, caring for them, walking through this young pregnancy together with them. And the young girl was um, complaining that her boyfriend's mother made her, the girl, clean up after herself in the house. Like she had to clean their bathroom they were using. She had to pick up her, her their room needed to be tidy. If you have a shared space. And she was really pitching a little bit of a fit about this. And I had teens at home at the time. And my immediate response, what I wanted to get up and flick the girl in the forehead because I was <laughs> triggered emotionally <laughs> by this added, this teenage attitude. Of course, you don't do that in counseling situations. But um, I thought at the time, oh, how funny. I was so bothered by that. Like, really bothered by that her attitude and so this is what we want to prevent right when people are are leading groups we want to um or on a staff at a, at a clinic or center we want them to go through read process any uh, all of the losses that they've experienced so that they can be stronger and more able to really attend well to who they're serving yeah now abortion recovery is becoming more and more of a individual ministry, a more of a focus. And we're seeing the Lord just raise up a lot of people. Are you seeing that happen with 
miscarriage loss or other reproductive losses? And are, are people kind of being lumped with miscarriage and other reproductive losses together, like in the same kind of a group? And, you know, is there studies, is there books? What's, what's that kind of look like? And how do we, how do we get in touch with them? How do we find them? And are they doing it virtual? A lot of questions I just threw at you. Yeah. You know, I haven't seen, I I would have to say this. I think um, centers that have been doing um, after abortion care and are kind of strong in that are starting to open up to miscarriage. And if you think about it regarding um, RU-487, or I'm sorry, uh, Roe versus Wade, um, a lot of the states where um, abortions are now limited or outlawed, um, women are coming into the center saying they had a miscarriage as opposed to an abortion. And so centers are seeing uh, language changing and it's a little ambiguous as to what actually they experienced due to what their state laws and regulations are. And so um, some some clinics and centers and people are opening up to, to knowing more about this so that they can actually get to what what is um, occurring in the in the woman's life. Um, so I'm trying to think of your questions. Are more people doing it? Yes, I think with miscarriage, I think it can still grow. And um, we would love to do to train more people to be, uh, you know, if you have one, even one person on staff that is a, is more aware of the connected aspects of all of this that can share it with their team, I think. If, if that's all you can do, that's the best you can do. Like, that's great. So, so I think I answered that. Are you seeing a lot of people with these other reproductive losses actually needing to go through studies, go through, you know, read, talk, what, what is, what are oh, they yes. needing? You know, sometimes we don't right. all need the same kind of process. Right. And I, without having abortion or I'm sorry, without having miscarriage in my past, I cannot identify with that loss. I can understand grief and I can understand loss, but that particular loss and the way these women grieve over it, or, and, um, I actually, I have, um, not being able to have children in, you know, because at some point, you know, after my husband, and I got married, we weren't able to have any more children for whatever reason. It was just, that was done. I guess we never got tested or anything, but that was a loss for me. It never would have occurred to me to need to talk to somebody or to need to read a book or to need to go through a Bible study on that, you know, specifically. So I guess I'm, I'm kind of getting to a question. I'm not really sure what it is. And I'm trying to just kind of at, come at it from a different angle. How are these women, how are, these women coming forward are you are you putting these women in with uh, everybody goes in with miscarried loss how does that look so i think by expanding the language to reproductive loss if people almost always are curious as to what that means hmm. and they will ask is it this and it's oftentimes what they've experienced um, we've had people ask, is it hysterectomy? You know, um, is it not being a grandmother? Mm. Like, what is it? And, um, Tanya, who does a lot more one-on-one -on -one counseling at her clinic than I do. Um, and I know personally people told me their stories, but, um, all of that and, and many times all they need is somebody to, um, acknowledge the loss with them. Um, to say, yes, I, that, 
that is that must have been very difficult. I'm sorry to hear that you had. And that's to go a big that. component in our abortion mm-hmm. recovery mm-hmm. is just being allowed to grieve. You mm-hmm. know, and that right. our society doesn't allow us to do that, yeah. and that's true with the others as well. So that that really rings a bell. Yes. Well, and if I can say this, because this is a really component of why we started as well, is um, we train on the on a biblical grieving model. Um, we find, as you're again, really probably aware of a lot of models out there about how grief should and can look, especially in, you know, in the secular world, there's lots of, lots of that. Um, but we kept thinking there's got, the more we started to write our curriculum, we were like, we believe that there is a biblical grieving model that is so much more freeing. And I'll tell you one of the things um, I feel about this. So a lot of times reproductive loss is talked about in relationship to disenfranchised grief. Grief as that is not socially accepted. It's not a norm. Uh, there may be no pathway, for instance, to grieve a loss. Like we don't often, if there's a miscarriage, you don't have a service often mm-hmm. for that baby. Um, you know, it's done in isolation. Um, it, you know, people don't know or don't notice what to say. And so it's unspoken. But biblically speaking, no grief that we have is disenfranchised. It's enfranchised. We have a language through lamentation, the the laments. We have a hearer who's God and listens to us. We have a fellow sufferer who's Jesus. We have the Holy Spirit who comforts us. We have a community of people that acknowledge our grief. And so together as as, as a Christian person, um, and you can tell this is who we generally speak to, right? This is like we're, but this is this is language that I believe we have a tendency because we haven't dealt with it in this realm before necessarily to defer to the psychological community. And I don't want to do that because that's in my opinion not as helpful to the sufferer as the word of god the people of god the spirit of god right you know i'm i'm thinking of a little bit of a tangent here but i want to um bring this out to you ladies in um the bible study that linda and i both do forgiven and set free we talk about grief in a section of it, and we talk, we, we look at Esther and how Mordecai, you know, threw sackcloth and ashes and he walked around this publicly wailing, you know, and, and just, that's how the Jews did it culturally. That was accepted. It was the norm and something that I've really, really been thinking about lately. And since we're talking about grief, I want to bring this up to you, just open this up for discussion for a minute or two in our culture. Grief is not something that is accepted norm in, in publicly. We are, I don't even know if it's actually said outwardly. I think for some, it is some says some people tell, tell their kids or they tell other people don't cry, or I'm not going to cry, or they shut you down. They want you to walk away when they're crying. Cause we view it as a weakness, but what would happen? What do you think would happen if our culture ch- shifted? Right. I know it's not going to, but what do you think would happen to the depression, the anxiety, the stress load that we're carrying and all these other things that we're carrying because we don't grieve if we allowed ourselves to just grieve, even if we did it in our private room and just cried out as loud as we could instead of stuffing it and holding it back. 
what do you think that would do for us as a society as a whole? I mean, you're talking about calling out, especially to us Christians, because we're crying out to our comforter. We're crying out to one who suffered as we suffered. I love the fact that blessed are those who mourn for they are comforted. The mourning comes first. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. it has to be a component of that. Getting Mm -hmm. comfort is being willing to mourn. Right. Yes. And especially in the churches, I think, Mindy, you've talked about how abortion in particular is a pain point in the church you know it's a pain point that gets oftentimes ignored for all the reasons that we know have that, that happen but we have but pain is a calling to attend to something mm-hmm. in order to be healed and if we are painless it doesn't we can't feel it we can't we don't know to we can't we can't attend to it and so um i think that that is a that's an area I think that we want to say as well as let's let's attend to the cry of the people within the the body. Um, in regards to reproductive loss, this is a sad story which I tell sometimes in our training. Is um, I I was part of a the county I was in um, has several big mega churches, and at Mother's Day we sent out a letter from the clinic that just said Mother's Day it's awesome we love mothers mothers rock hands down. And you're going to have people within your church body who have suffered these reproductive losses who either may not come to church or they may share their story with you. And we know that this isn't always something you're thinking about. So we want to help you help them. And so we created a a card, a greeting card that on the front said, um, thank you for sharing your story. Blank on the inside and on the back had the clinic's name and information. And we just told the pastor, lay pastor, women's ministry pastors who we sent it to said, um, please use this as a tool if anybody shares their story and you can know that we'll help, we'll take care of them from there. You, 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 you've you given them a good resource. And from one of these mega churches, I got back um, a note that was on our stationery that we meant for them to give to um, somebody else. And on the inside, it said, um, thank you for all you do in our, com- our community. Thank God we have none of these issues in our church body at this time oh man and it was from a mega church women's ministry leader who shepherded thousands of women thousands that's tragic of women and i just thought that that was just a big part of the impetus of this is like obviously she was wrestling with something herself but also all of the people who were not getting healing under her care you have to cry with them yes Yes, we do. And that is just, I think what we're all running into is just the, uh, you know, I would know because they would tell me. And the reality is, is they aren't going to tell you if they can't trust you and they don't know they can trust you. They really don't. You know, if you're not talking about, you know, your pain, your suffering, your journey, and that's where we meet. That's where we are able to meet each other. Um, I want to shift gears just a little bit with you, Tricia. I want to ask you a question from your perspective of a woman who does not have abortion in your past, how do you feel about leading or co-leading abortion recovery groups? Have you done both um, either or, or both? Is it a good idea? And what was the greatest hesitation you had in doing that? If you haven't done it, um, do you feel like it's a good idea? So there's a lot of questions there and 
I'll, I'll help you remember what they are. <laughs> oh, thank you. I have, again, this is where I get a little choked up. I have no idea outside of God why I'm in this ministry. Um, because I haven't had these classes. But I remember as a kid, I was probably sixth grade, and I snuck into a youth group meeting where I'm sure the youth pastor was being responsible. But in my little 12-year-old person, I heard him being um, judgmental of women who had had an abortion. And I remember saying to my mom, I'm never going back. I'm never going to sit under him as a youth pastor. And someday I'm going to help these women who mm. have struggled after an abortion. Like, why? Like, how does this happen to a little kid? You know, I don't know. And so I have always held this space with a lot of, um, like, it's sacred to me. The, the fact that somebody would tell you their story, something they've never maybe said to anybody else, you feel like you're holding something so important that it's like, you want to be so responsible with it, right? Like, and tender it well. And um, so as I kept going in this kind of career path and to where I am today, it wasn't too long ago where I was helping an organization and um, answering the calls, talking to the women who were calling in in either just trying to figure out if they were going to have an abortion or they had just had one. And one thing that was clear to me is they did not care a whit about what my experiences were. What they cared about was that somebody was listening to them mm. and, and respecting their story. And that was one of the very, and this is like, I, I've already have reproductive loss network at this time. Like I'm already doing it. And the, but this is the very first time I thought, because I've never thought I could lead a group. I never thought I could uh, actually counsel, which is why I do more education and Tanya does more of the one-on-ones. Cause I've always thought, oh, it can't be me. It can't be me. I can't, I can't hold these story. I, I refer, I refer. That's what I do. <laughs> you know, I don't want to, they're too precious of stories. They're too, too fragile. And, um, then not long after that, in that same organization, um, I was asked to co-lead, uh, one of these groups. And, um, I think what's becoming pretty common now is if you haven't had that experience that you're partnered with somebody who has, and I think that's really smart. Um, I think that's a really great way to do it. Um, I I did do do a co-lead group. I do think that I was helpful. Um, I would do it again because if the Lord puts you there and a person, <laughs> you know, but I'm always really upfront about it. Even in this ministry, I always tell people I have not had these losses. If you want, I, I feel like that's truth, but I'm so willing to hear your story. I want to hear your story and I want to help you process that process your loss. So, so to your question, um, yes, I do. And then not long after that, Tanya, my colleague, again, she wrote me, um, I don't have it up, but she wrote me a, a, a note that basically said she did not used to think a person who didn't have these experiences could help. But, um, but of course now she does think that because our, use has changed and if you think about it really how many times do we help people that have all sorts of experiences outside of our own 
and we can we are still compassionate and we can still pray with people and we can still refer well and we can still sit in silence and hug and I was at a grocery store the other day I was looking at sale items at the Kroger and a woman walked by and we for one sentence talked about the glass candle holders that we were looking at that were about and then she began to tell me her story about how her husband just died and I have not had that experience but I turned my body square to her my feet facing her and I listened and we can do that even if we haven't had the shared experience I, I'm very much in Tanya's boat, um, having led groups for years, and I've always said it needed to be somebody that had, had an abortion, uh, leading and co-leading, and, and Mindy has really challenged me, and just now you've challenged me, and, and I see how having someone without that experience actually validates the experience that they're having, that somebody outside that has not had that experience can still say, that was a loss, and you deserve to grieve. So I'm, I'm really kind of rethinking point. this right now too. Yeah. Hey, that's because, a great point. Yeah. And you know, the, the church needs to be able to be the church to one another. And if we keep telling the church, if you don't have this experience, you can't be in this arena. We're, we're actually stepping above Christ when Christ says we're to minister to, to one another, right? We're to confess to one another. We're to to walk with one another and bear one another's burdens. And, um, and yet we are standing here going, Nope, you can't be a part of this because you don't understand it. And yet You're God right. had put that in Trisha's heart as a child, mm-hmm. you know, that's amazing that he can mm-hmm. raise up anybody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it will create just, and I I've shared this with both of you different times, but I want to share it with our listeners. I think by bringing the church into this arena and into this healing space, we open doors up of transparency and authenticity that we are lacking in the church because there is these silent divides going on. Well, she's not going to understand me. They're not going to, and I can't talk to certain people when in reality we need each other. And I can't tell you how many times um, I share this with people who don't have Christ in their past, who are not in this space, right? So they're not hearing these conversations and people that aren't in this space All they hear is the rhetoric of pro-life and pro-choice. All they hear is the yelling back and forth. There's no healing in that space. There's a need for the pro-life movement in that space, but there's no healing there. The healing happens right here at this table. And when, when we're not talking about these things in the church at this level, all they know is the yelling that goes on back and forth. And they're very turned off. Like you mentioned earlier, abortion becomes this hot topic word that nobody wants to talk about because they think it's really divisive. But when, in fact, I started telling my Sunday school class, I am starting an abortion recovery ministry. One by one, they came up to me individually and said, I do not have this in my past, but this is so needed. Thank you. And the only way they could know it's needed is because the body hurts. You know, when we stub our toe, when we slice our finger with a paper cut, and these are little wounds, our whole body feels it, right? Mm -hmm. Same with the body of Christ. The body of Christ knows it's hurting. It just doesn't know where it's hurting. It doesn't know how to attend to it. And so what we're trying to do is open up these avenues for the body of Christ to enter in to this space so that we can minister to one another. When my ladies get my cards from the women who signed them that don't have abortion in their past, they are touched 
when they hear that there's, I have a prayer list of people who don't know their information, but they're praying about their, their general situation right now, they are moved to tears because they've lived so long with the darkness of this shame that if anybody finds out, I'm going to be ostracized and I'm not going to, I can't face that kind of shame. I can't face that fit, which it's a, it's a, it's a lie. It's always a lie. And so now we're allowing the body of Christ to come in and challenge that lie and turn it upon its head and do a new work. So thank you for answering that question. Thank you for answering the call that God has on your life to be in this space. I love I'm, I'm stunned because I never heard that part about your story as a little girl. And, um, I'm actually speechless by that. I think that's absolutely beautiful that God was doing that work in your heart way back then, giving you that kind of discernment that something's not right with this pastor and I'm going to do something about it. (laughs) I just, I just, that blows me away. And I hope that blesses everybody else who hears it. Oh, well, you know, God just, like I said, at the beginning, God leads you into this and there's nothing you can do about it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. When he opens a door, who can shut it, That's right? right. <laughs> we just go forward with it. So um, I want to shift one more time and uh, and we'll be done shortly here, but I just want to talk to you, Trisha. I want you to be able to talk to those who are listening um, because uh, before I met Linda, actually in September, we all met each other. We just didn't all meet each other together. We met at different times. Uh, Trisha and Tanya and I sat down and had lunch and I started just, we we could have gone on for hours that day. And I started unloading all my ideas and found out I have a cohort in Trisha because she is a big, big deal person, a big idea person. And, um, so I can share with her big ideas and she doesn't run for the Hills. You know, she's like, yeah, (laughs) I did. So I started talking to her about we didn't quite have the podcast thing down, but we had this idea down and we didn't just, we just at that point didn't know how it was all going to flesh out, but you and Tanya were really excited to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And then I met Linda and then we all got together and we talked about this, but what I want others to hear from you, which hopefully this is just going to affirm what's already out there in their hearts, but I want others to hear from you. What are you, what do you, how do you think a podcast like this is going to benefit this community of leaders that, that we are trying to reach where we can help one another with our ministries. Well, I was thinking about that before I got on this call. And one of the things is as I was making notes. I, I thought, Oh gosh, there's so many topics that we could really get into a little deeper. Like a couple, I just wrote down really fast right before we got on was, um, how how to listen well i mean we all know we need to listen well but how do we each do that how do we do that in our personality and our gifts and how how do i listen in a way that maybe as another group leader you might think oh that's a great idea so like you may i i learn things like that all the time from people that are um doing this work they do things different another one is like even just how do we ask for, how do we ask clarifying questions? So we're not making assumptions, you know, things like, um, if they say, oh, my mom's really bad. Do we just gloss over that? Or do we say, tell me how you're, you know, so asking those better questions, how do we do that in, in a group or in individual settings? So there's like a million topics that you could take little aspects of and blow them up and say, okay, what, how do you do this? Well, cause I want to do it better. So I think what, as you were saying from the beginning, learning from each other on 
I think this podcast could go for a very long time with a ton of topics. That's what we were talking about at lunch, weren't we? Just like yeah. we were yep. writing them down so fast. <laughs> um, and the people that do them, like I said, that that we can grow from others, other ideas, and be encouraged with within the, within this body of helpers. Yeah. Okay. So you're coming back to do a podcast on how to listen well, right? Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have you back. <laughs> yeah. I'm so okay. funny. Uh, one woman said to me the other day, I had just done like a speaking thing and she goes, I could listen to you all day long. And I said, can I get my husband on the phone? Hold on. Can you say that again? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like so much to say. I was like she wants to listen to you all day I'm like she did and we would (laughs) love to get ideas from our listeners as well Mm -hmm. so we are looking to you to give us some ideas and there'll be contact information that Mindy will be giving you um, because there is a ton of subjects that I think will be helpful to all of us absolutely so you can reach us at abortion recovery network at gmail.com And so please include all the things you want to hear about, because we want to hear from you. This is for you by leaders. We, we want to want to know, do you know somebody who does something really well when leading groups and that you think that the rest of us would know about, because we're not, we're not hosts on here, Linda and I, because we know what we're doing. We're hosts on here because we want to learn what we're doing. And, um, we want to invite you to join this process with us. Um, I want to ask you, Tricia, what practical advice would you give to new leaders or women wanting to lead groups but are hesitant? And especially those maybe that don't have abortion in their past. People that are hesitant. Oh, that's hard. I, hmm. One thing I think that was important to me as a married person, um, at the very beginning was knowing that my spouse was supportive of this endeavor. Um, because you can't do this ministry in rebellion to your authority (laughs) at all. Um, so, and I mean, authority is like, you know what I'm saying? not my authority well you know he is anyway that's a topic for another time right 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 no I mean (laughs) I want it's it's such it's a spiritual battle yes that needs good health in the person who's leading you're you have um you're a there there's so much that goes along with this honestly you should be hesitant a little bit um you should be careful to just jump into it with, with too much you know um I do think it's important to have, like I know Mindy, you do prayer team support. Um, let may, your pastor should know and support you. If you're married, I think that your spouse. I, I could never have done anything in this ministry without my husband's support. He's he always says he sells insurance so I can have my dream job. I mean, he, he literally works for me to do this ministry. That is a huge gift that not a lot of people have. So I would say the biggest thing for me is just setting yourself up for success with a good group of people that are prayerful and wise that, um, and that you trust, um, you deal with a lot of hard stories, a lot of hard stories and they, they weigh. And if you can't, you, you have to have people around you to, um, lift you 
and support you in that. That's off the top of my head, but that was something that was important to me. You know, that's a really good point because when I first worked at the pregnancy center, my husband was a hundred percent supportive, but we, neither of us went in totally ignorant with the idea of how much work ministry is. And so not just we're we're not just hearing these really heavy stories. We're doing a lot of work and there's a lot of stress that comes with that. And, um, that's inevitably going to affect your home life. So I think it's a really good, um, piece of advice, Tricia, because I think we all need to continually assess those aspects of our life and make sure there's health in both of them and how to then get health. And that's another topic we're going to talk about. People call it self-care today. We're going to, I don't know what we're going to call it. Um, black for lack of a better word, we'll call it self-care, but we're going to talk about how to keep those aspects of our life healthy and in, in, in as much balance as possible, um, and still serve to the capacity that we believe Christ wants us to start to serve. So um, we are going to have another podcast sometime with, with somebody, you are welcome to come back and do that with us. Um, or, uh, I don't know, we'll just see what happens, but that's see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> I want to talk about for sure. Yeah. So, um, is there any, what is the last question I have for you? And then I think Linda might have a closing question for you. What, is there any one thing new leaders ask of you about leading groups or getting into this ministry, or maybe with, since your expertise is reproductive loss, people that are new coming in, you know, if this is, uh, I'm back to the hesitant word. I'm back to this hesitant idea because what are, what are people wanting to know? I mean, we are hesitant to get into a space that maybe we have experience in, but it's still new ground for us. I have had abortion in my, my past, but working in a pregnancy center was completely new territory for me, mm -hmm. right? Just because I had an abortion didn't make me an expert in anything. And, mm -hmm. um, and certainly, like you say, we're not going to school and training to go to a pregnancy center. That's just not on our radar generally when we're going to school growing up and, you know, preparing for whatever that course is, we think our life is going to go on. So what are some, uh, what is one of the most common questions you're hearing from people that maybe you're training? I think the biggest one of all is capacity. How do we do this? That's the biggest thing of all, um, which I had mentioned before. Uh, it seems so huge, like we can't do it. And um, again, I just say, we just really encourage you to begin where you can begin. There is nothing wrong with that. Like, if you don't have a lot of money or you don't have a team or um, you just, if you just start where you can, like I mentioned, awareness and a good network system, I think, um, I, I think every, every group leader should have a really solid, and it doesn't need to be big, network list if you run into somebody that needs help with an, a miscarriage or stillbirth or um, uh, infertility. Those are all very unique losses, adoption. Also, well, we think about it as a great thing and it is, there's also a lot of losses associated with that. Having a good solid pregnancy center or um, church, you know, making sure you have somebody you can, you can send them to that is in a small group, like all of those aspects. It doesn't have to be a lot. It could be a list of 10 people that can take, that, that can take off what you can't do. And certainly we're seeing this in your space now, which I'm so excited about. Um, this is one thing I think a lot about is how do we get pregnancy centers in particular, because that's 
where I come out of, but how can we let them know you're there? You, you guys are there, those virtual helpers. I think that's a really important thing. If they if they are not offering after abortion care at their center or can't, or the woman's retired or whatever, oh man, if she if I had had when I was calling around your number, I would have been so excited to know that, oh, virtual groups are popping up all over. So I would just say, if I were to say one thing, other than being aware, I would say build yourself a, a sturdy, strong network of people that can help. And that goes right back to Reproductive Loss Network and Abortion Recovery Network. We've got a real theme going here that we've got to talk to each other. Uh, We're a body. We need each other. None of us are lone rangers. And we need each other and to know each other's there. And uh, God will be honored in that. And people will be blessed. And we so appreciate, Tricia, you being with us today. And um, my closing question is just a a simple one. Um, What is your favorite name of God? Oh, that is good. I should have given you a heads I, up on that. <laughs> that's okay, because I just read in um, Judges yesterday, which I had my Bible next to me. Um, he's um, God of peace. Um, Joshua 6, 24, I think he says, he's the God of peace. And uh, boy, that's a good, that's a good word for my good heart. Word. Good work. Thank you. Well, thank you um, for being with us, Tricia. This was so much fun. I do miss Tanya. Um, Would have loved to have her, but we're going to have her on uh, hopefully in the next few uh, episodes and uh, we'll have you back and um, we'll talk about some other fun stuff. So anyway, well, thank you. It's such an honor and humbling pleasure and just a great ball of fun to hang out with you. So thanks for letting me be here. All right. Hold on a minute. Okay.